We started last week off in the same place we're going to start this week, in the grocery store. Only this time, we're going to stroll around the produce section. Bins full of peppers and apples, cucumbers and heads of lettuce, bright colors and fresh scents all around. But have you ever thought of what it takes to get them there? If you didn't know, many of those fresh fruits and vegetables require painstaking precision. Such precision, in fact, that a machine can't do it. A human hand has to pick most of it. Now, think of how much work it would be to pick all the produce that's in your grocery store today. Add in all the grocery stores in your town or city, plus the ones in all the neighboring towns and cities, plus all of them across the country. There is a lot of hand labor involved in getting those fruits and vegetables off vines and trees and into the store. I'm Andrew Campbell and welcome to Food Bubble, the show where we try to answer all kinds of questions you have about food. On today's show, a look inside a little-known program that brings workers from other countries into Canada to do jobs like picking apples and snipping asparagus. But why does it take workers from foreign countries to do the job? And why would someone from a country like Trinidad leave their home for six or seven months at a time to do that kind of work? That's in 60 seconds on Food Bubble. Trillium Mutual Insurance is your ag insurer of choice in Ontario. They're farm insurance professionals who specialize in and understand Ontario agriculture, providing insurance solutions that are the best in the industry. We all know that insurance can be complicated, but does it have to be? Their real Ontario farm insurance brokers make it simple for you, providing the coverage you deserve. To find a broker partner near you, please visit their website, trilliummutual.com, and follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Trillium mutual. Want to know more about where your food comes from in Canada? Farmfood360.ca gives you a 360-degree view of Canadian agriculture. There are dozens of videos featuring real Canadian farmers answering your questions about food, farming, and how it's all connected. You can even take virtual tours and see exactly what it's like to live and work on different Canadian farms. To learn more about Canadian agriculture, visit farmfood360.ca. When you look at a lot of farms today, you might find a lot of machinery too. Tractors for pulling planters that drop grain seeds into the soil. Mixers for combining a whole bunch of ingredients that then gets dumped into a manger to feed livestock. Even robots that milk cows or timed pipes that feed chickens. But when it comes to fruits and vegetables, all that machinery disappears. There may be talk of robotic apple pickers, but that's future at this point. A machine that knows which strawberry is ripe and which one to leave until the next day hasn't been invented yet either. It complicates it even more when you've got such tender fruit. So even today, thousands of workers are required to pick every strawberry and apple, snip every asparagus shoot off a root, and even prune cherry trees to make sure it produces the most flavorful and bountiful crop possible. The problem, it's not easy work. It's not likely that fun of a job either, which means farmers like Beth have a tough time finding people. I'm Beth Connery, and we farm here in Manitoba, and we grow uh, asparagus, uh, broccoli, strawberries, carrots, and squashes. Our products are actually marketed through a, a grower group association. Um, it's a marketing board in Manitoba called Peak of the Market, where the large growers market out of. 
So pretty much our stuff is marketed in Western Canada, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and into Alberta. Um, the strawberries are a you-pick operation with the option of people getting pre-picked berries. So we pick some of them and we have customers come through and pick the rest, which we really enjoy. It's the one crop that we get to see our uh, customer directly and talk with them about our farm. I'm guessing, Beth, you're slightly larger than the garden I'm trying to grow at home. Oh, probably. <laughs> um, what would usually be a normal amount of uh, acreage for us would be about 80 acres in asparagus, about 220 to 240 in broccoli, about the same 220 to 250 or 240 in carrots. Squash is going in around anywhere from 10 to 15 right now. That's a new crop for us. And strawberries, it's about 30 acres between producing and non-producing. So yes, it's, it's a little bigger than people's backyards. To give you an idea of just how big this is, it means Beth has enough asparagus to cover 35 city blocks or enough broccoli to cover over 100 blocks. It's a big space. Now, Beth, you have a lot of work to do in a season and have workers from other countries come help. When did you start bringing them in? Well, actually, our farm started um, back in the 80s, getting uh, workers in from Mexico. And over the years, that grew as we were unable to get Canadian workers and we needed reliable help that was going to be there every day because when a vegetable is ready, it's ready and it doesn't wait for the next day. It just starts to go bad. So um, over the years, those numbers have increased. And uh, quite a while ago, we also started getting uh, employees through the uh, Caribbean uh, line of the seasonal ag worker program. And uh, we have guys that come up here from Jamaica. So we've got people in both of those seasonal ag worker programs that come here to work on the farm. But why in the 80s? Why was that the time you started bringing up employees from Mexico? Uh, it was becoming more and more difficult even at that time to find Canadian workers who were willing to do the labor and who wanted uh, to be outside in, in all kinds of weather and, and, and do the, the hard labor that actually it takes for us to get our crops off. Certainly we put in a lot of time ourselves, um, but we can't do it all. And, uh, and if you don't have reliable labor, then you just can't do the job. So then what's the process like to bring these workers in? Is it the back of a cube van kind of deal or is there a program you have to go through? There's quite a lot, actually. Um, it's, it's particularly for the seasonal ag worker program. It's very uh, rules oriented and we have to follow those rules. Um, we, have to, we have a policy in Canada of Canadian employees first. So we try to find Canadian workers. Um, we, uh, we advertise. For Canadian workers to see if we're if we can find people to do the jobs, uh, we have to provide housing that has been inspected and is deemed to be uh, good for people to uh, work in and and good for them to be able to live in for quite an extended time. Some of our people are only up here four or five months, and some are up here closer to eight months. It depends on on what they're doing. Uh, here in Manitoba, we also have another step that we go through and we apply to the Manitoba government for uh, the acronym is a, a RAPA. And that is something that Manitoba does so that it tracks who is in the, in the province 
and that they can keep track of to make sure that they're being treated well and that everything is going properly. So once we've got those things in line, then we start the actual paper application for the, for the uh, labor market impact assessment. And that goes into uh, ESDC. And they check to make sure that our region appears to need the people and they check to make sure that we are functioning properly and we've done all the things that we're supposed to do. Um, when we send in our, our labor market impact assessment, uh, we also send in for those for the seasonal ag worker program, we send in signed copies of the contracts that are going for that year. And those contracts are actually negotiated on an annual basis, reviewed and negotiated between uh, the Canadian government and the source country government. So there are two of those. One of those is for the Mexican country or Mexican government. And the other contract is with the Caribbean countries, um, both of which are available online at any time people want to go and look at them. And then once we have got our labor market impact assessment, the uh, information is sent on to the councillors of the country that's the source country. And it's also sent on to um, immigration so that they can begin the process of uh, vetting the people that are going to be coming up here to make sure that they are good to come to Canada and that they will be issued a work permit. So down in, in the source country, those countries have various things that have to happen down there. So uh, the employees have to now get um, biosecurity done. So they have to have fingerprints and a picture so that when they come into the country, they can easily be identified and known that, yes, this is who it's supposed to be. So that's a new requirement, actually, this year for uh, Mexico and some of the other countries. And then uh, hopefully all the paperwork goes through, plus we have to arrange for their flights and pay for their flights. We can get a little bit of it back, but we can't get all of it back. So all of those things have to happen before the guys actually get here. And uh, there's, there's a lot of checks and balances that are in there for the benefit of the employee and of the employer. And uh, for us, it's, it's been a really great system. It works very well uh, for us to get employees who will do those jobs that Canadians don't want. And once those jobs are done, then we have Canadians who actually are, work here in, in, on the farm that do further processing, they, they, they'll do some grading, they'll do some packing and finishing the preparation for, for produce to go off to market. And let me get this straight, you do this every year? Yeah, we apply for an LMIA every year. Um, we have to do the housing inspection every year. Uh, we have to do the advertising every year. Uh, all of those things are done. And for the SOC uh, agreement, uh, housing is provided free to the employees. So we make sure that everything is maintained and, and good for them. Yeah, it's, it's an annual process that we do. Certainly getting this labor is neither easy nor cheap, but it provides us with the reliable labor that we need to manage our farms so that we can get the produce off and uh, continue sending it into the produce chain. Now that gets a worker up here. Once they are here, do you pay them less than minimum wage? No, it is not. That would be contrary to any of the province's um, labor laws, and uh, it can't be done. 
So then what do you pay them? So the Canadian government is the one who, who has a, a formula that figures out what we're going to be paying our employees in our region. So there's that is also up on the web. You can go and you can take a look and see what employees are being paid for different jobs when they're here. So um, you know, just as anything else, we are bound by the provincial labor laws. So we have to follow all of those laws. There is no negotiating, negotiating on that. Um, the other thing that we have to be covered by is by workers' compensation. Um, all of these guys do pay EI, but they have access to some of the benefits of EI, and they also pay CPP. So when they get to be the age and want to retire, or even if they've left and gone home and not come back for any number of years, they can apply for CPP when they reach the appropriate age that they want to apply, whether that be 60 or 65 or just like us. They have a choice in when they want to apply for that CPP. That certainly is more than I expected they'd be getting, Beth. Then being seasonal programs, though, are workers coming back for another year after returning home for the winter? Very often, um, guys are are returning to the same farm year after year after year. Uh, We build relationships with them. Um, We know where they're coming from. And and what they're doing, um, I know I've had one, one farmer tell me, you know, they're better than us. They are making sacrifices for their families. But they are, are often, they're sending a child to school, paying for education that isn't paid for by their government at home, whether that's um, sometimes higher education in higher into high school is not covered by the local provinces or states, and certainly university isn't. So they've got children going to school. They're improving their housing situation. They are... Uh, often starting a small business or something on the side that they do when they're at home in the winter or helping family members to do the same thing. Uh, Very often you find that that when they're up here, there's various members of their family who are helping their wives and children or whoever's there. And everybody tends to benefit from uh, the money that's getting sent home because that's why they come here. They come here to make money so that they can better their lives. Bettering their lives sounds pretty, but I thought we'd actually better find someone who does make that journey from a warm, tropical place to the cool spring air of Canada in April. My name is Felina Pereira, and I'm from a small community in Tabakit in Trinidad. Now, Felina, you're in Trinidad right now, having been home for the winter after working on a farm in southern Ontario that grows apples and cherries. When do you usually then come up? Um, I usually, uh, initially when I started the program, my first year was in August, and then uh, the year after that was 2014, I came in June, and then I would be skipped 2015 because the, that season wasn't, was, wasn't a very good season because of the frost on the farms, mm-hmm. and then 16 and 17, I think, uh, I think it was both June, and then I started, I started in um, April, coming to Canada in April, so... Mm-hmm. 17 and 18 and 19 will be coming in April to November. Now I've talked to many farmers here in Canada and visited with several workers that come from other countries too. And to be honest, it's a pretty male-dominated field. Mostly men being the ones that come up. I know you've told me before that you didn't even realize women could come. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know a woman from Trinidad actually was on the farm program. When I when I got into it, it's like it's my brother. He was on the farm program before, and then I saw the ad in the newspaper, and I applied to the Ministry of Labour. 
And uh, um, as a woman being on the farm program, what I could see is actually is a, a is a very different experience. And I like being out there to learn different things and I have different opportunities. I drive the staff bus. I do the four. I drive the forklift at the cherry plant during the cherry harvest for the Norfolk Cherry Company. And um, well, last last year, 2000 April for that, for that season, I I did um, irrigation and I drove a different tractor to do to plant trees like apple trees and cherry trees. And um, what else? I drove the the barco to do rock picking different different things and I do post plowing with a tractor with a post plowing attached to the back of the tractor to put post to, to hold on to the apple trees to make sure they're steady and standing tall and uh, a couple of different different other duties in between. Then what's it like for you when you do leave home? Well leaving home uh, well it wasn't it was just a different experience because I never really worked on a, on a farm program before, on the farm program before, and I was never in. I was I was never in the agricultural field, so it was a, like a transition, a change for me. And the, the only hard thing was just leaving my family. But as soon as I got there, it was very comfortable, and uh, as I had contact with my family every day via internet access, and it was it was just a, a very good experience. So that's why I I, kept, I keep coming back. What kind of family do you have at home, Felina? Well, I'm from I'm from a, a very large family. I'm the last of eleven, and my mother take care. She take care of my kids, and I have my my sister and my brother who lives really like really close by. So every, every they, once my kids comfortable, I'm comfortable working and being away, mm. and I get to talk to them every day. That's a big commitment, Felina, to leave home, leave your family for several months at a time. Why Why do it? At that point, when I applied in 2013, uh, the, the government was reconstructing, and my contract didn't get renewed, and I was seeking employment. And this was a way, it was a way out of, of being unemployed and a way out of poverty rather than just sitting and waiting to be, to be handed, to be hand, stuff handed down. It's just, I just seek employment. So it was a way for me to get out of poverty and to find, instead of being unemployed, it was a way to be employed. And I still, I still here. This would, this year would be my sixth year coming, coming to Canada. So then, if this is getting you out of poverty, what kind of money would you make if you were to just find a job at home and stay there for the summer? I think minimum wages, if I'm not wrong, is uh, since I wasn't working here for the past six years. Mm-hmm. I think minimum wage is like what fifteen dollars an hour. And to, for the exchange rate, you could say probably what three Canadian dollars. It's very, very. Profitable. A story like Felina's, one of enjoying the trip up and looking forward to coming back year after year because it's good money, isn't the kind of story I'd hear on the news. If I ever did hear anything, usually it was tied to some kind of horror story. So I pose that to Beth. Had she heard of any problems in Manitoba with farmers mistreating workers? Don't I, I don't ever recall any horror stories in our region. Um, certainly... I believe it has happened in a few places, but as in everything, there's always a few bad apples and we really want to weed them out. Um, Certainly all the guys know that uh, there are toll-free numbers where they can call their counselors if they feel that they have real issues and, and, you know, they can talk to the counselor and we fully support moving people out of bad situations. They should be moved. They should not have to stay somewhere where it's not good. Uh, But 
where we are here, uh, I don't know of any that have had any real issues. And certainly um, the guys are, are willing to talk with us if they have trouble and if they want something dealt with. Um, and it's, it's a two-way street. You have to communicate with people. You have to make sure everybody's satisfied. You have to make sure everyone is taken care of. Um, and, and there are a lot of different ways of, of making sure that there's communication. Uh, I know, at least on our farm, and I believe on almost all farm, farms, there is uh, Wi-Fi available for the guys to use. A lot of them are bringing phones up with them and that kind of stuff now where it didn't used to. So they have the ability to communicate with other people, with home. Um, and it, it depends on the region. Some regions, guys are on baseball teams. Uh, certainly around here, uh, the local Catholic church has services for them. There's, we try to bring as much home here as we can for them. And for Felina, she's actually recommending it to other women. It's a very, very nice experience, although it's very cold in Canada. And um, as, as I would encourage other women to, to, try, to, to try to come on to the program and see what it's like for the experience. And I, I, it, it works for me, and I, I hope it will work for other, other women. So if you're heading around the produce section this week and happen to find some Canadian-grown produce you plan on serving your family, know that a human hand likely had to pick that for you, and that that human hand may have been thousands of miles from home, but doing the job to make sure their own families were looked after too. Who really cares about what you eat? You do and these 200-plus food experts. BestFoodFacts.org connects you with leading university experts on food and farming in North America. With over 500 questions answered and new content weekly, it's a dependable source available across all social channels. Get the details you want from credible people who've dedicated their entire careers to the study of food. You care about what you eat, so take time to digest the facts. Visit BestFoodFacts.org today. It's hard to believe, but that's nearly two months of episodes now wrapped up, answering questions like, what the heck is high fructose corn syrup? Why is deciding dinner so hard? And how do you turn a region of Nova Scotia into sought-after wine country? If you've got a question or comment you'd like us to dig into, we'd love to hear from you. You can find me on social media, whether that be Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. My handle is Fresh Air Farmer on all of them. I'd love your feedback to make sure we're covering the topics that you want to hear. We'd also love it if you told the world. And if that isn't your thing, a rate on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app is the next best thing. Apple, Google, Spotify, and all of the others take your ratings to make sure more people with your tastes can find us too. It's already helped put us on the new and noteworthy section in Apple Podcasts, so a few more, and I know we'll make it even higher. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.